People with excellent memories and memory championship winners are not too different from you and I. They just use a combination of techniques to enable their minds to memorize things. You might find it hard to remember names, facts, equations, lists, tasks, all the things you need to take care of, maybe even a new language. But if you follow the right techniques, you can remember almost anything you want. On this episode, I'm talking to Anthony Mativier, who is the founder of the Magnetic Memory Method. But we cover more than just memory. We talk about how Anthony has created a huge multi-channel content machine that funnels people into his memory course. But it's more than that. And when I say funnel, it sounds like it's a calculated, considered approach. What Anthony explains is why his purpose and his altruistic goals around memory and helping people with their memory are the secrets to his success. Welcome to Fractal Marketing. My name is Jared Doyle, and this is the podcast for entrepreneurs who want to grow their company through smarter marketing. The goal of this podcast is to provide you with marketing tips, strategies, and insights to enable you to grow your business. You'll hear from fellow entrepreneurs who share their learnings and insights on how they grew their business. You'll also hear from marketing professionals who'll give you easy-to-execute marketing advice. And of course, you'll be hearing from me. You might be an accountant, a graphic designer, a recruiter, a startup founder, but if you're the best-kept secret in your industry, then your business is just not going to grow. Right, let's get talking to Anthony. So Anthony, thank you so much for joining us on this episode. Thanks, Jared. Great to be with you. I really appreciate the opportunity to speak. I'm really looking forward to it. I think I always say this, but one of the great things about hosting a podcast is the ability to extract information for my good and what I want to learn. And if people happen to listen and enjoy it as well, well, good for them. But I'm excited because I'm planning on learning a heap today to set the scene. And so we've got an idea and everyone understands the context of which we're talking about. You're the memory guy. You're the, the guy behind the magnetic memory method. So I think it makes sense if you can explain to listeners what that is all about. Right. Well, thank you. It is basically dealing with some realities in the world, which is that much more important than memory itself is how do you deal with the overwhelm of information and the conflicting nature of information? So, you know, we were talking off uh, before we started about Gerard or Jared, and that's the kind of thing that I help people with because it might be spelled one way, but said another way. And how are you going to remember that? And how are you going to remember it fast so that you are accurate in life, so that you get your ego out of your way and you can accept when you're inaccurate and just work on accuracy? And what is the brain connection here? Why does our brain help us sometimes? And why is it in our way sometimes? And how can we get it more on our side more often in a way that is quote unquote magnetic? And magnetic literally means how can we put information in place and stick it there so it stays put and we know where it is when we need it. And how can we repel like a magnet all of the noise, the distractions, the things that interrupt our ability to study and learn successfully in a frequent way and to focus on the relevant information instead of you know what we want all the time to the point that we never get anything done to just the relevant stuff that we actually need so we can be superstars. And how do we do it? so that it's endlessly entertaining and have a bit of a spirit of experimentation, which is what life is, always needing to test and optimize. So that's what the Magnetic Mary Method is all about. Pull the good stuff and repel the distractions. 
I can see why that's super appealing because I think we all <laughs> suffer at different points. We go, I can't remember you know, what was your name when you meet, and I'm terrible with names. I'm absolutely terrible to the point of it being almost embarrassing. Um, I'm lucky that my wife is good with names. So we'll walk into any social setting and I, I act a bit like a president asking what dignitaries' names are. <laughs> and she has to almost like whisper names as people come up. That's so-and-so and so-and-so. It's Susan and Jeffrey. And, you know, this is their... And I, I don't have a great way to memorize these things. The only way I end up doing it is through association, which I imagine is a pretty basic technique. But it's... I try to remember something about it. So I can remember your name because my middle name's Anthony. So I go, oh, you've got my middle name. And that that association is strong enough and clear enough for me to remember your name. But I've got zero chance of remembering your surname. So I'm going to have to keep reading it. Is that, I'm guessing it's pretty common, right? Most people have that complaint. And so you're actually playing into a pretty big market here of people. Like almost everybody wants to improve their memory, right? Yeah. And even I need to improve my memory. I mean, if if you say Susan and Jeffrey, and I don't do something in my mind, even if it's just a throwaway example, I'll forget them just like anybody else would. So it's a mental activity to put a Susan that I know on your shoulder and a Jeffrey that I know on your other shoulder as I'm looking at you right now, right? And it's just a habit that I now have. So when I go to meetings and I memorize 30, 40 names at the meeting and demonstrate all this, I also mention the little things that they mention along the way because I've memorized them as well. But if I don't use the techniques, good luck. You know, I'll, I won't remember it either. <laughs> so it's just a very human thing. But it's also a thing that like tying your shoes, if you just learn how to tie your shoes, you know how to do it for the rest of your life. Is that is that the magic moment you're talking about meeting 30 people? Do you get to have that amazing moment where you leave the meeting and you thank everybody by name to their faces one after the other and everyone's kind of left their you know, jaws dropping, kind of going, how did you remember all those names? Because I've got to be honest, you said Susan and Jeffrey. And I thought, why are you saying Susan? I had already forgotten my made up names of Susan and Jeffrey. And right. you've used it a couple of times back to me. So, um, and I just want to ask one thing. You said um, looking at my shoulders and putting them on my shoulders. Is that one of the... Is that one of the techniques there, is it? It is, yeah. So to answer your first question, yeah, I, I like to do that, but it also makes me a bit sad sometimes because people do allow their jaws to drop and then they think, oh, I could never do that. There must be something genetic with this dude. And there's nothing genetic. It's just like tying your shoes. It is literally that level of simplicity. And if parents would learn these skills themselves and teach them to their kids with the same integrity and devotion that they do to tying your shoes, everybody would be able to do this for the rest of their lives because it's a no-brainer skill. It's absolutely so simple. And, you know, in terms of different levels of techniques, different ways to do it, yeah, you can use the shoulders. The traditional name technique is to place it on people's faces, but I prefer shoulders because when I'm remembering someone's name, the last thing I want to do is see some goofy image or association on your face. I want to remember your face. I want to remember what you looked like and your name. So I will place associations on shoulders, above people's heads, on the wall behind them, anywhere but their face. Because I think that's one of the worst teachings in memory that there is, is somehow obscuring an individual's face to remember their name. Right. I, I must say, I haven't, I'm, I'm aware of some of these techniques, but you can probably tell... I haven't actually explored them. So, and I did, I did do the first, like I listened to your first videos and I'm sort of on your email series and, 
And this is the trap of doing these interviews. I meet all these people and I'm like, oh, I should do that. I should do that. And I've interviewed people who write your own book. And so I'm halfway through writing a book and I've met somebody who says, this is how you employ a virtual assistant. And I went and employed a virtual assistant. So I think, I think this is kind of like, uh, this is like service shopping for me as well. So I, and I look, when you gave that explanation, I could really feel your drive. I could feel your why, like the passion of wanting to teach people and scale up what you're doing. And so the theme of the, the, the podcast that I really want to get into with you is making that step from consulting one-on-one, like us sitting here and you could, you could in theory, one-on-one teach me memory techniques and I could learn that, but that's yeah. limited. And that's, um, that's limited by the number of people you can influence. And it's also limiting your business upside, right? Cause you're, you've only got seven and a half, eight hour working hours in a day. If you're going to meet me, you know, you can only help X number of people or clients or customers. Right. So I'm really keen to explore this, the journey that you've been on, because a couple of episodes ago, I spoke to someone, um, Hasanatu, who was talking about transitioning from a babysitter through to building a course. And now she's in the process of making that transition. Whereas I look at you and you're successful, you've done it. So I'm keen to go back over that successful journey and understand the steps you went to, to go from say this one-on-one coaching or not, you maybe even did that through to how do you become successful internationally recognized running courses, selling books, et cetera, et cetera. So when you started, what was, what was the starting point for you when you sort of decided you wanted to teach on mass, where was the first place you started and sort of the first bit of, I guess, distributed content you worked on? Right. Well, first of all, I'll say you, you're right. You, you, you're not necessarily going to learn this from just a coaching session. And when I do coaching, it's with people that have at least taken something from me. Otherwise there's no point in talking. You should have coaching after having taken a course because we can talk until we're blue in the face theory, theory, theory. If you don't lay the foundations in your mind of what these skills are, how they work through a book or a course format, then getting a coach is really just going to slip through the cracks because there's, there's, uh, you know, foundations that need to be laid. This is a self-study art of the mind. And so you always need to just figure out how do you get yourself to study? So if you need me to coach you, well, then that's one thing, but let's not confuse coaching with, say, consulting on your memory practice, right? So I'm always very careful not to uh, book people for my time when they're not ready for the actual strategy consulting on using the techniques, because I'm not really a coach, right? I don't like to handhold. <laughs> so that's part of how that all of the products came into into place. But the real story is that I had never expected to go into this realm. I was writing curriculum for a after school school. And basically I was, I'd been a professor. I'd been all over the place, all over the world. I'd had a major research grant in Germany. I came back to Canada and I couldn't find a proper academic position that all my academic degrees, you know, should have enabled me to get. Uh, but I couldn't, uh, people weren't hiring me. I guess I'm quirky and weird or whatever. They didn't like my research. They didn't care that I'd had one of the biggest research grants you can get in Germany. I just wasn't getting a job. So I was writing curriculum at a school. One day a teacher doesn't show up and Haiti, Wendy, who was the, uh, owner of this school, this program for really, really keen students to learn faster and in ways that are a lot better than the traditional school system was providing. She said, get in there and teach them. Here's what they need to know. So I did. And 
10 minutes later or 15 minutes later, we're done with, you know, whatever the stuff they needed to do. And I said, hey, what do you want to learn next? They said, well, we don't know. You're the teacher. And I said, oh, well, why don't we learn how to recite the alphabet backwards? So they learn how to do this in four minutes, which is about as long as it should take using memory techniques. And they say, what, what else could you do? And I said, oh, let's learn how to memorize cards. And I'm blown away because they're memorizing cards within that short period. I say you can't do it in coaching yet. Certain things you can for sure. Uh, and they did, but they're, you know, high school students with their eyes wide open, they're paying full attention and they got nothing better to do. And they're avoiding the pain of like literary theory or whatever we were doing that day. So they're switched on to this alternative. Anyway, they say, hey, that was pretty amazing. Could you write it down? I said, yeah, sure. And so long story short, I wrote it down and Kindle was go undergoing, you know, the, uh, the, the gold rush at that period. And I put it up on Amazon, forgot about it got back to business writing curriculum. A friend of mine says, have you seen your book? And I said, no. And I go and look, it's number one in two categories. It's number three in another category. And I look at the uh, revenue that's coming in from this. Revenue is a new word for me at this time because I'm used to research grants and you know teaching gigs and yada, yada, yada. And I just think, my goodness, if I can do that, I can do anything. And so I started to make more books and so forth. And also a band that I had played in in Germany, they said, hey, would you come on tour with us? And I thought, how the heck am I going to fund this? And at that same time, I saw this quote unquote revenue and I just thought, well, there's my ticket back to Europe right there. And so so that's how the adventure started. The interesting you started with books and yeah, I find books interesting because books both represent a source of revenue, like you said, you know, you can sell books, people pay, you earn a little cut of that. But it's interesting for me that books then become a stepping stone to status and authority. So, you know, whenever I've gone to, you know, seminars or lectures or conferences and people come up, one of the great introductions that people can get is author of the book or best-selling book. And mm -hmm. so do you feel like having penned those books that gave you a great stepping stone where you got authority or did you derive authority from, I mean, you had academic authority. You've, you've said you've got um, book authority and like, that's what I'm assuming. Um, do you feel that one was better than the other or, or were there other authorities that you worked on elements that gave you that authority to be a teacher and be an expert as well? Well, yeah, obviously having taught gave me an advantage in thinking through how is, this topic going to be represented well in prose and i had written a lot however it wasn't necessarily the most well-written book in the world because a lot of my academic wizardry actually just seems like gobbledygook to the average reader right so i had to learn over the years how to de-academicize so to speak my manner of writing because it was quite complex and it's a bit of a paradox like how did this book become such a heavy hitter and then other ones as i was learning to write more human to human or you know person to person in the sense of i'm not talking to fellow academics you know i'm talking to people who really want this they want to learn so i, I don't know the the answer of why that 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 worked as it did but what I do know is that because there was this initial success, I made it my mission to get better and better and better. And so all those first books in my first years that hit, hit uh, a nerve, they've been put into second edition. 
and have been progressed to audio or um, there are audio books, but also video courses and so forth. And so it's 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 kind of that old entrepreneurial thing where if you waited too long or you, if you if you're not embarrassed by your first product, you waited too long. And if you're not improving your first product, then get to it. You know, uh, that's uh, that's how you're going to get authority is by having something out there, seeing the response, then improving it and then making some more for people as you learn your audience, what they need and how they need it. And one is a very dangerous number. So you want to have multiple things out there for people to find, to interact with, so that you can improve it from multiple angles. Right. So, so writing books isn't just that you did it, you did it, tick a box, you've walked away. How many books have you actually written now? Oh, Did well, you know? there's got to be, I mean, here I'm the memory guy and I don't know how many books that I have, but it depends on, <laughs> you know, well, Amazon takes them down sometimes because I use what are called mnemonic examples and they sometimes have spelling mistakes on purpose. And so some robot decides that it doesn't like this. And so some of my books come and go, but there's more than 20 of them on Amazon anyway, right now. And depending on how you want to count, I used to have a small press when I was in university. So you can, you can give different numbers, 52 books, whatever. I've got a lot. Uh, there's a ton of stuff that I've done in, uh, in my day. And it's not really about books though. It's about the knowledge and it's about the transference of knowledge through a particular medium because mediums are just information storage and retrieval devices. So we make books for readers. We make courses for video course learners and we make live events for live event attendees. And we really focus on crafting the message for the medium, so to speak. Yeah, that makes sense. So jumping along to your courses, when I was doing a little bit of research about you, Anthony, and you, you know, I Google your name, that's, I guess, the default way you find out anything about anyone these days. I came across your Udemy course or courses and it, what struck me was there was almost 32,000 students so far. I'm just curious. I mean, how do you, do you have any idea how those 32,000 students found that Udemy course? Or is it, again, it's one of those things where you sort of put it out there and you happen to be at Udemy at the right time at the right place? Well, that's an interesting question. And thank you for noticing that number. I don't want to sound arrogant, but actually it would be a larger multiple of that if I hadn't removed a number of courses from Udemy over the years. So they're only showing what has remained from the cleanup uh, as I've taken courses away. And there's reasons why I've taken those courses away that have to do with Udemy itself. But the, the answer to the question is that the course, like my books, just hit a nerve. Nobody was talking about this. And one of the reasons why is that the memory competitors, at least as far as I know, aren't really applying these skills to knowledge in the way that I am. And some are, to be fair, but not with the, I don't know. I, I don't know exactly everything about every other book on the, on the planet with memory. I know a lot of them, but there just didn't seem to be this person who's looked at it as deeply as I have. And I did it because I needed to solve a problem. I'm not the average learner and I'm not going to learn languages the way the experts tell you to. So I used memory techniques and I dove into it in granular detail. And that hit a nerve. Udemy's algorithms must have noticed it and they were buying ads for it. And I think they still are to this day. Uh, there's been a slowdown over the years, but it just hit a nerve because it's following a marketing rule, right? F find a pain and solve it. 
and you, you're almost certain to hit the ground running, especially when you have these wonderful shadow business partners like Google and YouTube and Udemy, etc. You get their algorithms humming and they will reward you. Udemy is interesting because I've been mean, picking a platform for an educational product is interesting. And I, the thing that struck me about Udemy is that they do do marketing for specific courses. So you obviously hit the secret source where they were able to justify doing their own advertising, driving people to your course, possibly even at a loss leader. And that's that becomes the great path. Have you used other platforms out there that you sort of I think Udemy take a reasonably significant cut of what's coming through have you looked at other platforms for your educational products or has it sort of been Udemy has been the, the, the one path for you I did what I would recommend anybody do use those external platforms to serve your home base to be not a loss leader necessarily but a first touch by which people come to your home territory so that if you think of the internet as an ecosystem, where is Udemy in your business as a means of generating a relationship on your home soil, on your website, on, on your podcast, on your YouTube channel, or whatever the case may be? It's not, I wouldn't use it as a, any platform. I wouldn't use it as anything other than a strategical means of being introduced to your ideal prospect. Right. That's really interesting. So that's, so this is, I'm getting this visualization where you sort of, when you say your home turf, you know, your website, your database, things that you own, and then you're looking at all these platforms, which really is a form of rented attention, right? So you're putting Udemy in the same rented attention box, which says, just like Amazon, hey, if I get some revenue through it, book sales, that's, sales, that's great. But does that mean your business, like when you visualize your business model, your focus is on driving people through to absolute hard metrics where you can own them so in other words getting people to sign up to your mailing list mm -hmm. um you know get brand recall with you is that is that the right way to imagine it so that youtube and twitter and all these social channels and courses are all just spokes of a wheel if you like feeding into the hub and that hub is your website and therefore you know true success and true asset building for you is about building your email list and and your actual one-on-one -on -one connections is that the way you visualize it yeah absolutely Udemy has changed over the years and it's, I'm very grateful for, for it. It's, it was huge in the beginning days for me, but I never saw it as anything other than a partnership for a particular outcome, which is based on things that I just learned very early on. And I was able to hear things like the, I love marketing podcast and so forth. And they just said, yeah, internet stuff. Great. But don't ever forget the fundamentals. And that is, Business is a, is a list building exercise. And if you don't have your list, it's not a list. So all the sales on Amazon are great, but that's not a list. All the sales on Udemy are great, but that's not a list. That's not a business. So I always just focused on the business fundamental of developing a list of interested people, a list of people who have already made an investment and other kinds of lists that you can think about. But having courses on Udemy is not a business, not far from it. It's the path to perhaps developing one, getting some funding to help you develop proper uh, business assets in terms of a website. But even the website itself, right, is reliant on things like Google. And so it's the list that is the business at the end of the day or the lists. 
Yeah. So you're thinking, so there, your, your core metric of stability and, and growth is, is the email list. It's the emails that you acquire on your website, get mm -hmm. people going through. So, so I'd like to touch on that because I think it's, you know, it's something that I know I don't practice particularly well. I leave, I leave too many assets for myself personally sitting on ecosystems. So there's too much sitting on Apple podcasts. There's too much sitting on LinkedIn or Twitter. And, you know, I don't really own those assets. So when it comes to your website, what's the, the primary objective? Because I went to your website and the first thing was I kind of, I think I entered an email address. I got a video and I watched you for, I don't know, the first video goes for a while. Like maybe it's like 15, 20 minutes. So is that the, is the primary objective for the first visit of that to your website is to capture an email and get, get someone onto your subscription list? I mean, it sounds really crass to say it like that. Like it's a really cold <laughs> kind of calculating thing, but it did strike me when I went there, like that's, that's the objective, put an email in and, and, and get some content. Yes and no. The primary objective is to create a raving fan of memory. And how that that works is by doing whatever it takes to have them visit the site again. And having their email address is just one of those things. So it can be that the quality is just so good that they remember to come back. That's less likely to happen, but that is also a primary objective. And so we make it as good as possible so that the site in and of itself is memorable to encourage the repeat visit. And we might get them to subscribe on a secondary visit or a third visit. And that's where something like YouTube or Twitter or all that jazz can be useful in terms of helping get a subscription eventually. But the primary objective is really just to get people returning to the site. And then the list, of course, in terms of the business objective, where it sounds kind of crass, well, its objective is not necessarily to get a stale sale right away, but to create a relationship that encourages them to go back to the site. Because as you mentioned, you went back to the site. So you subscribed and then you go watch the video, which is on the site. Yeah. And, and you know, we're talking about the different spokes that sort of feed in here. Do you also then, once you sort of captured that, I noticed you're sort of you're using those assets as well, right? So I might come in via a YouTube video and then I hit your website and subscribe, but I might then bounce out to your podcast. I might come back in from your podcast. I might go out to Amazon, get a book. Is it is that part of the strategy as well? Is, you know, So for example, a book is revenue itself. It could also be driving traffic into the website, but then do you also try to bounce people from one platform to another to try to increase the overall number of transactions, not transactions, interactions between you and those people by using all the different channels. So what I mean by that is, you know, an ideal person for you, a raving fan is someone who's subscribed to your podcast, is on your newsletter, has purchased your book, is doing a call, you know, like touching on all those different bases. Is that part of your objective to increase the number of touch points with each individual? It's a consequence of it, but I yeah. see it more holistically. I see it as, and I would recommend every person in business think of this, because if they're not, then it might be useful to them. And if they already are, then it might be also useful to them to think it through in this lens, is that my primary objective is to get people to use memory techniques. And if it winds up that they get them from somebody else, great. This is about investing in the quality of your mind. And to think that it has to be through me is a foolish endeavor. The real objective should be to have a better world because people have been trained and know the value of investing in the quality of their mind period and i don't 
need to have it all. And in fact, honestly and ethically, what I know about memory training and just learning itself is that one is the most dangerous number. You can't learn it all from one teacher. Humans are, 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 are filled with faults and agendas, and they don't have the biggest possible vision all the time. So anybody who's listening to this, who's struggling in their business might just think about the old phrase that if you love it, let it go. If that translates into the copy, into the language of your website, in, in some ways it also makes you, it's more endearing to the person because it's, it comes through that you, you know, you do want the best for them. And I like, I don't know, speaking personally, I like to think that I have the same kind of approach, which is just to help people with basic marketing. And, you know, m you know, most people who interact with aren't going to become customers. And, and like you said, I think most people who need marketing help aren't going to get it all from me. You need to go to lots of different experts. I just need to be one part of that solution. Right. How, when you, um, when it comes down to, when it actually comes down to the transaction and it, and it gets that stage of someone sort of saying, actually, I'm, I like what I'm hearing. I've done the first chapters or listened to the first videos. I kind of like the idea. What do you think is the most important part of moving someone from being interested through to actually committing and, and entering their credit card and signing up and paying for your course? Did you, are there sort of things that you've learned over the years that become, that are like critical to triggering that, that purchase decision for, for people to actually sign up to your course? Yeah. If they ask a question, answer it answer the actual question and make it clear that the answer may be on the other side of a purchase if that that's the case but if you can just help a person out help them out don't you know don't need a particular outcome to come out of that because you can create so much content that gets you way more than that one transaction when you are keenly attuned and switched on to the needs of one person because chances are there's dozens if not hundreds if not thousands of them that have that similar question lurking in their mind and so if you're not practicing the practice of answering authentically and thoroughly then you're missing out on a huge amount of you know more people so i think that's the number one thing i like that approach is that and is that over time, I guess, and that's translated to less and less need for you to actually have contact because you've spent the time thoroughly answering each individual question and using it as content and putting it out there to help other people. You know, the ultimate goal, what are people, a lot of people who start sort of the idea of courses and, and, and these kind of links and books is that they actually don't, they have a lot less contact hours. Um, have you found the longer you've been going, the less time you've actually had to spend on the on the day to day business from when you first started it off? Oh, really, I don't know the answer to that question because I don't believe in time. So it's a, that, <laughs> right. that's a that's probably a different episode. But uh, <laughs> no, I don't think of time. Time doesn't exist. Show me a person who can can not even Einstein really thought time existed. Uh, and Girdle, he had a long long debate with Einstein. And there's a nice write up of that debate in a book called A World Without Time by Paul Yorgrau. Anyway, the whole thing is, is people get too hung up on time, you know, and it goes back to that vision. What vision do you actually have in your company to help people? And, you know, how do you want to get it done? So if you're not the one who's going to be in love with your customers, find somebody who is and figure it out. And if they're sitting there worried about time, good luck, because time is not the issue here. It's not the definitive factor. Expertise, care, 
And actually getting people results, no matter what it takes, is the definitive issue. And if more people focused on that, you'd better believe we'd have a better world all around. Yeah, I, you've got my brain going and I've got to resist the temptation to turn a half hour podcast into an hour podcast, delving into that, um, not believing in time. So I'm going to take that, take that one on notice, go away, do some research and think, see if I've got the guts to come back to you with a follow up <laughs> question. I, I'm feeling completely out of my depth here now. So, um, so just looking forward to, to what you're looking at in terms of the landscape and, and your brand and the company's brand moving forward, what are the, you know, you, you've sort of, you've got a podcast, you've got books, you've been online courses. I've seen you sort of touch on core and different things. Is there a, is there a channel or a medium at the moment that you sort of, it's got your, that you've got your focus, um, whether it's, you know, you think it's a trend or whether it's just what you happen to be focusing on, where, where are you going to put your effort in sort of 2020, um, for, you know, putting your content out there? I'm quite interested in and invested in YouTube. I think it's a great platform. Obviously, there's been some challenges in the previous year, and we don't know how they're going to be resolved in the next year, but I still have a lot of my focus on YouTube and also Google. So really, those are the channels that I'm invested in. And, you know, things like Quora are interesting to me. I've done some experiments, but I'm not sure that that is place for me uh, for a variety of reasons. So I might do some more experiments there. I've done some, you know, paid traffic experiments there and whatnot, but you've got to just kind of go where people are. And in my case, I really find that I'm in a knowledge-based realm and I really like people who want knowledge. And so anything that's a search engine where they're looking for detailed answers and the way that they ask questions helps you meet each other, so to speak, already with the gears in motion. That's really great, as opposed to a kind of handout forum, right? What's the, what's the medium where people are looking for substance? And that's where I focus, and that's why I focus primarily on YouTube and Google. I can I can see why and look Google's been my my first love and I love it for the exact reasons people putting their hands up and saying hey I I have a question can you give me an answer when you when you speak about YouTube there are you looking at producing content with an organic so sort of non-paid reach paid or are you looking at a combination of both of those that you sort of take your business forward with I may do some paid experiments but I'm mostly interested in the organic element yeah. and I have done some paid experiments on YouTube but there's something deeply dissatisfying about it. It draws a different kind of individual. And that may be specific to my realms that I'm in, but I am much more interested in, I mean, I one of my MAs is in media and communications. And ever since I entered that field and started to study it as an academic topic, I'm very interested in organic. I'm interested in just seeing how far that it's gonna go before something either really transformational happens to the world or something tragic happens and hopefully it won't be tragic and i want to push the limits of organic as far as i can go even though i'm in a fairly small topic right now but i have other topics that i'm interested in so there's other interesting experiments to run inside of organic as i grow as an entrepreneur myself and you know we'll see uh, if that if that happens or if it doesn't. But at the end of the day, I'm really interested in organic and I learn 
so much more from organic that is enriching and rewarding than I do from ROI layouts from paid traffic campaigns. Yeah, I think you can, sometimes you can be a little bit lazy and just sort of, you can always just easily click a couple of extra dollars on the credit card to compensate for maybe what you haven't worked out yourself. And that's that's kind of the trap we could fall into. So um, as a last question, and and one I probably should have teed up with you beforehand, but I'm just entirely intrigued by the fact you said, you know, the, the concept of time question, I think you'll probably have something for this, is I'm curious when it comes to your business um, or inner you know, experience, is there... A theory that you have or an idea or an opinion that you have that you think most people don't agree with so something that's some idea that you've got around running a business or marketing or promoting a course-based business that that you have that you find that most people don't agree with and what i mean you know so something quite contrarian so obviously um thinking of time or well, i forget exactly how you phrased it that's terrible for me to forget that already but that's obviously quite contrarian most people are going to go of course there's time i believe in time so is there something that but that's very big and out there. I'm thinking something more business related. Is there a business theory or strategy or thought bubble that you have that you find most people sort of look at and shake their heads and go, yeah, I think Anthony, you're, you're way off on that one. Cause I'd love to explore that. Cause I've got a feeling you might have some of those, or if I can put caught you completely off guard and you've got nothing coming to mind. Yeah. I think one of the big things that I'm a contrarian on is the law of attraction that a lot of business people have. Now, not all business people have it, but it is this, thread or strong, you know, flavor in the realm of if you just focus on this or that and yada, yada, law of attraction stuff, everybody knows what that means, right? I, I think the law of attraction is nonsense, partly because if you're just doing cool stuff and people like you, you know, you're just going to attract them. It's just, it's just that simple. It's practical, right? And you don't have to, you know, send out vibrations to the universe or any of this stuff. I'm more interested in the law of action as a result. And that's where a lot of people disagree with me because they're like, oh, but I want to, you know, do the do the the e-myth Michael Gerber sort of thing where everybody else wears the hats and I don't have any of the hats and, you know, uh, all the different people are doing stuff and I just go and live uh, on a farm or whatever, uh, you know, this kind of thing. I just don't see that at all being reality. I think the law of action leads people to want to do more action for more people. And it's always going to cause us to be involved in more action. This is the law of karma. Action begets action. It yokes you or ensnares you into more action, right? And so really what I see is entrepreneurs, they hit it big, they make it big. They're, you know, not quote unquote involved in the gears of their business. But what do they do? They go and start another one. They do it all over again. And it might be a charitable thing or it might be another thing. But this whole thing of, you know, just sitting on a beach and doing nothing or golfing or whatever. Yeah, there are some people who like that, but I've never really gelled with them. And I think that a lot of those guys are getting progressively unhealthy in many ways. They're not satisfied. They're not particularly this, that, or the other thing. Maybe I got it all wrong, but it just seems to me my observation, my feeling is, is that there's a lot of unhappiness. There's a lot of untruth in what they're portraying anyway. And that the real successful people, the first thing that they do when they follow the law of action is they figure out how to follow it some more because there's just too much bliss in working hard. Uh, you know what I mean? So that's, uh, yeah. that's I, look, I, 
Yeah, no, I think I can see how that uh, manifests itself. The people who have the action to follow his dream get some success. Um, and then the people that sort of lust after that are often people stuck in a grinding nine to five job that they don't really like. And they go, oh, I could just do that and sell a business for 10 million. I could kick back on an island. And the irony is that the people that lust after that idea of an early retirement will never achieve it because they 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 don't have the action and the drive to actually achieve it. And the irony being that the people who do actually achieve it are so driven that once they achieve the ability to stop working, if they don't, they just double down, they work even harder because they're seeing the output. So yeah, I can see how that can work. And, and I guess it's, yeah, it's that there's two different types of people. So I think it's, um yeah, I can see how that works. I'm going to, um I'm going to do a little bit, you've given me all this homework now. That's, that's the problem. I've got more reading to do on a, on a Friday afternoon. Well, that's great, Anthony. Thank you so much for that. If people want to find you online, follow, you know, your musings, your ideas, your thoughts, obviously there's a lot, lot there to take on board, or they just want to check out the magnetic memory method. Um, what's the best places to find you and the course online? Oh, well, thanks for asking. It's magneticmemorymethod.com is the, is the best place. And from there, you know, you can browse through the blog, check out the podcast episodes. If you like YouTube, obviously I'm there as well. And a lot of the blog posts would send you over to YouTube or show you a YouTube video, etc. And yeah, if you want to get subscribed, then that will give you a free course that shows you how we do it, why we do it the way that we do it. And I'm very fortunate in having many, many memory competitors really support what I'm doing and many, many everyday people as well, so to speak. I, I think of myself as an everyday person at the end of the day. Um, you know, so it's just a, it's a very personable human to human kind of thing. And, you know, let's just get this done without putting a badge on our chest or whatever that we won some special award. Instead, let's just focus on what is the information that's going to get us where we need to go so that we can achieve something that makes us feel really, really great and then go out and achieve some more. That's great advice. Anthony, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. It's great to speak with you, Jerry. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. I hope we were able to provide you with some great marketing ideas that will really help your business. As always, if you'd like to support me and the show, just jump onto iTunes or wherever you're listening to this podcast and rate and review. Those reviews really make a difference and help me reach a broader audience. If you'd like to connect, the best way to find me, of course, is on LinkedIn, following me on social media, or just connecting. And if you've got ideas for future episodes or you're a marketer and you would like to appear in a future episode, just hit me up on LinkedIn as well. I'd be happy to have a chat. Thanks a lot. And I look forward to speaking with you next week.